be in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. If you're a guest and your kids are headed out and you're wondering where they are, they're just down the hall towards the parking lot, make a right, and you'll find them in the second room on your left. So as we come to God's Word this morning, as we come to our, before we come to our text, kids and adults alike, think about your average day. What do you do in your average day? What are the things that you do in that day? How do you spend your time? Think about that. How much time each day do you spend doing those things that you do in an average day? What if you thought about that over your entire lifetime? How much time would you give to those things? If you lived until you were 80 years old, how much time would you spend in bed, do you think? We're talking about numbers of years. How many years would you spend in bed, do you think? The average person spends 33 years in bed. If you live to be 80 years old, you'll have spent 33 years in bed. How many years do you think you spend eating? I'll just give you a hint. It's not even close to that amount. But how many years do you think you spend eating? How many? Four. Very close. Four and a half years you'll spend eating. You'll spend 13 years and two months working. You'll spend 11 years and four months on your screens, TVs or devices. You'll spend one year and four months exercising. You'll spend one year and one month being romantic, and that is a very broad uh, definition. You'll spend one year and three days socializing with friends. You'll spend 334 days in school, in primary and secondary school. You'll spend 235 days waiting in lines, 115 days laughing. Guess how many days you'll spend grooming yourself? Now, men and women, this is a different number, and it's quite drastic. Men, you'll spend 46 days of your life grooming. And women, you'll spend 136 days of your life grooming. If you're keeping track, that means that you have 11 years and four months left for everything else. Vacations, attending church or religious activities, volunteering, commuting, cleaning, raising a family, etc. Nearly half of our life is spent doing two things that are essential for us to live, sleeping and eating. Work, education, socializing, family, church, they help sustain our lives by fulfilling who God created us to be, as well as supplying needed finances, knowledge, care, and worship. And the remainder of the things that we spend our days doing are good and have a good and necessary place as well. Maybe not as much as we spend doing some of them, 
But as we think about the ways that we spend our days, how do we evaluate our lives? If we're honest, the circumstances around those ways in which we spend our days dictate how we evaluate our lives. And this morning, we find that the circumstances of Elijah and this woman he meets are not good. In fact, death is imminent. And yet, we're given a new way of interpreting life. Let's read 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make, yourself, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days." The jar of flour was not spent, neither, the, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word that became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus. Lord, we pray as we come to your word this morning that we would see Jesus more and more. Lord, that we would be transformed by your word and conformed to it. We pray this in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So last week, we began this new sermon series in the life of Elijah titled, The Lord is My God. And we saw that the books of kings are compi were compiled by God's people when they were in exile. And they were compiled... They had been written over the years, but they were compiled together to answer questions like, what did it all mean? Was Israel's God not in control of nature and history? Were, the other, were there other more powerful gods in Babylon because, Babel, because the Babylonians were victorious over Israel? And if the God of Moses did exist, was he good and all-powerful? How was it that God's chosen city and temple had been destroyed? And how was it that God's chosen royal line, the line of David, had seemed to come to an end? The books of king, the kings must be understood in this context in order to understand what God is, was telling his people then and what he's telling his people now. 
They are historical sustained responses to such questions and are designed to provide their initial audience and us a true interpretation of what happened to Israel in 586 BC when the temple was destroyed. Israel's God is fully in control of nature and history. There are no others. There are no other more powerful gods anywhere. We were introduced to the prophet Elijah, and his name gives us much of what we need to know about his life and mission. His name means Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is that special covenantal name that God gave to his people that they would know him by and, be known, and he would be known by them. And we were asked the question from the text last week, is Yahweh your God? Right, Elijah, the very name means Yahweh is my God. And the question that came back to us from the text, is Yahweh your God? Is Yahweh my God? And we saw that because Yahweh is the true God, he is my God. We saw that Baal is not God, but Yahweh is God. And the resonating thought from last week's text, last week's sermon, what or who is your Baal? What or who have you given your trust, your worship to that belongs to God alone? And this week, we move along in the narrative. And Elijah, we left Elijah at the brook Cherith, where he was being fed by the ravens and drinking from the brook. But that passage ended that told us that the brook had dried up because God was at work doing what he promised he would do, withhold the rain from Israel. And so, we leave him, we find him at the brook. Elijah's prophecy is true that the rain stops and drought comes over the land. And so God directs Elijah to leave where he's been, where God has sustained him, protected him, and sends him to Zarephath where he meets a widow that God has said will feed him. Elijah arrives at the city and asks this woman that he sees to give him something to eat. And she says, As your God lives, I have nothing but a handful of flour and a small amount of oil. I'm going to make what I've got left, and my son and I are going to eat, and then we are going to die. The widow makes a very important pronouncement. She says, as your God lives. She has discerned from what she has experienced that Baal is dead or at very least asleep because the drought is so severe. And Elijah's God is the one who said that this would happen. He is the one who is alive, who is at work, who is in control, unlike Baal. And so this woman has discerned that the God of Elijah, our God, is the God who lives. The God we know who came as a human in the person of Jesus Christ, lived, died, and rose again, who lives and reigns on the throne of heaven. This is the God who lives. And so we are confronted with this question from our text today, 
Do we live as though God lives? Do we live our lives as though God is alive? Do we live our lives as though God lives? As Yahweh, your God, lives. Do we live our lives that way? Our text answers that question. It says that because our God lives, we can follow Him. Because our God lives, we can follow Him. We can follow His direction, His command, and His word. First, His direction. He gives direction to Elijah. God directs Elijah to go to Zarephath, which is in modern-day Lebanon. It's south of Beirut, between Sidon to the north and Tyre to the south, right on the Mediterranean coast. And now as we're reading this, if you're reading this text and you say this, God told Elijah to go to Zarephath, you're like, okay, well, what... What does that, I mean, what does that really matter? He's just going to another place. God's saying from the brook, in Cher, the brook Cherith to this place called Zarephath. What does it matter? What, why is this an important aspect? Does it really mean anything as we are reading the text? And it, if you don't remember what chapter 16, how chapter 16 ended, then we could just pass over this and read this and not really gain the import of what is happening here. Right, because at the end of chapter 16, we know that Jezebel is from this area, right? We might read right past what God has directed Elijah to do and where he's directed him to go. He's directed him to go, quote, hide out in Zarephath, located in Phoenicia, to be fed by a widow, right? He's, God tells him to go from the safe place that I've hidden you by the brook Cherith in the nation of Israel, and I'm sending you to Phoenicia, where Jezebel is from, the woman who hates you, the king's wife who hates you. I'm sending you to her homeland, right into the heart of Baal worship. God, is this... Is this a plan? Is this your plan? <laughs> Sending me from this place where I'm pretty safe. Yeah, the brook has dried up, but hey, you've been feeding me with ravens. I'm sure you can provide water somehow. Right into Phoenicia, the heart of Baal worship. But not only that, he said, I'm going to feed you by the work of a widow, a woman of little to no means because she's a widow in that day. As I said, in Phoenicia, the very heart of Baalism, enemy territory, what kind of plan is this, God? And God does this to demonstrate on Phoenician soil where Baal is worshipped that he has power over things in which Baal has failed. Right? Even the Baal worshipers have explained the drought as a sign that Baal was dead. He could not keep the widow and her son alive. And in the absence of Baal who lies powerless somewhere in the netherworld, Yahweh steps in to bring life to the widow 
and her orphan son. And this is done in the heartland of Baal, Phoenicia, Jezebel's homeland. There is no mistaking that God is showing Elijah, this widow, her son, and us, that he is the one in control, that he is over all things, that there is no God besides him. He's directed him into the lap of the enemy, so to speak. And he does it to show how powerful and awesome and good and merciful and loving he is. Do we live in light of God's direction? Are we willing to go where God might send us? Even into, quote, enemy territory? Where are the enemy territories in your life? Who do you see as an enemy or the enemy? We live in such a polarized time where those who disagree with us, sometimes even on the smallest minutia of issues, are the enemy. You're either for me or against me. Are we willing to go into enemy territory at God's direction to show the power, the love, the mercy of God? That's what God called Elijah to do, to go right into enemy territory and show his power, his love, and his mercy. And God could call Elijah to do that, and he calls us to do that because he himself has done it. This is precisely what Jesus did for us. He came into enemy territory knowing that he would die. And he went anyway to seek and to save the lost, to show the power, love, and mercy of the one true God himself the God who lives. God, because our God lives, we can follow him, his direction, even in enemy territory. We can also follow his command. God tells Elijah that he's commanded a widow to feed him, right? This is interesting because it's pretty clear that this woman isn't a follower of Yahweh. She says to Elijah, she calls Yahweh your God, right? There's no evidence in the text that this woman is a follower of the God of Israel, of Yahweh. But God has said that he's commanded this woman to feed Elijah, doesn't seem that she is prepared for Elijah's request either, does it? If God had commanded her to feed Elijah, wouldn't we think that maybe she'd say, oh, there you are. I've been waiting for you. I have food prepared for you because God has commanded me to feed you. That's not her 
response. You could almost read her response as a bit antagonistic. Your God has done this to me and my family. We're in this situation because of your God. And yet, God has said that he has commanded her to feed Elijah, to care for him. What does it mean that, she, that he's commanded her to do this? There's obviously in which, a way in which God works or commands that is not in his direct communication, right? He has commanded her in a way that is not directly communicated to her, as far as we know, in audible speech, as God sometimes does as he encounters people in the Bible. He has not spoken to this woman as we might expect, but in Elijah's request, even in the midst of certain death, she is somehow moved by God's command to show hospitality to Elijah. However God has communicated that command to her, she has been moved by the request of Elijah to do as God has instructed, has commanded her. She expects that her that she and her son will starve to death. However, she is obedient when Elijah tells her to prepare food for him first. This Phoenician woman, in whose land Baal was honored as the god of fertility, the son, the owner of all nature, learns that the Lord whom Elijah serves is the one who alone supplies food to the hungry. Elijah promises that her supplies will not run out until the rain returns. She responds to the command of hospitality by God. Right? God is commanding her to show hospitality to this prophet of Israel, to this man who in some way represents the God who is doing this to her and to all those around her. She shows this hospitality even at the potential detriment to her and her son because of the command of God. Not only does Elijah go into enemy territory, but this widow offers hospitality to her enemy. Right? Phoenicia and Israel are only as close as they are because of Ahab and Jezebel's marriage. They are not people who are lovey dovey and want to be with one another. They are enemies. And this widow offers hospitality even to her enemy because God has commanded it. 
what is, who or what, where are the enemy territories that God is sending you and me? Who are the enemies that God is commanding us to show hospitality to, to welcome them in, to sustain them, to provide for them? Even at the potential detriment to ourselves. Because God is, our God lives, we can follow Him, His direction, even into enemy territory, His command to show hospitality, His Word, which is His provision. Right? Flour and oil represented provision, represented fertility. Grain and oil were the two major exports of this city, Zarephath. And the fact that they were in short supply where this woman has come to the end of all that she has is an indication of how severe the drought actually was. They are the two basic commodities of survival. And yet she has none. Her provision has run out. And yet Yahweh demonstrates that He is able to provide not just for Elijah, a faithful Israelite, but he's able to provide for the people of Baal. He's able to provide even for those who worship another god. He is able to provide even in, quote, Baal's territory, just as easily as he is able to provide for Elijah in Israel, the, his home turf, so to speak. He is just as easily able to give or withhold from whoever he chooses. And God in his graciousness and his mercy provides for Elijah and provides for this woman and her son. The text says, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. According to the word of the Lord spoke by Elijah, God's provision came by God's word. God's provision comes by God's word. He will never leave us or forsake us. He gives good gifts to his children. He provides all that we need in life and death. God's provision comes by God's word. His promises are sure and true. He provides even for those who are against him. 
How much more does he provide for his children, for his sons and daughters? Hudson Taylor, a great missionary to China, wrote this in his journal. Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one, capital O. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Our life lived in God's way will never lack supply. As your God lives, our life lived in light of the living God will never lack His supply. Do we live as though God is dead like Baal or alive? He is the living one. He is the one who has conquered death, lives and reigns forever and ever. Do we live like he is alive? Our God is the living one. There is no one besides him. This is the day that the Lord has made, and every day is the day that he has made. Do we live in those days as though God is dead or as he is the one who is alive? Because our God lives, we can follow him, his direction, even into enemy territory, his command to show hospitality even to our enemies, and his word that provides for our every need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, how you provide for us by it and through it, how your promises are given to us to sustain us and that you will sustain us. Lord, help us to heed your direction, to listen to your command all through the power and work of your word. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.